Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast. SOS, uh, episode number 33, uh, Monday, March 8th. How are you doing, David? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing fine. Nice. We typically... Got... Oh, go ahead. I got my vaccine. Uh, I feel fine. I'm working hard, and uh, it's... Uh, the pandemic uh, and staying home and has really taught us a lot. I mean, uh, you can stay home, but we have the freedom to go out. Uh, everyone doesn't have that. And everyone doesn't have the ability to uh, to talk to each other over the Internet. And so we have a lot of freedom here in this country. That's true. Uh, last night, for instance, we went out to the store at 8 o'clock at night and bought two pieces of cake <laughs> for you and Laura. I don't like cake. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry about that. I do. I like cake. I like, well, I like, it was It was very difficult though, David. It was really difficult to go f- pick out a piece of cake because I like all of them. <laughs> yeah. You chose red velvet in the end. Are you happy with your choice? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like cake. I like pie. I like brownies. I like muffins. I like, uh, well... Uh, I like pretty much anything. Well, what I don't like, I don't like tiramisu. I don't like coffee. Oh, I love tiramisu. It's one of my favorites. There you go. I see. I'm, I'm more of a savory person. I like, well, I like tiramisu because I like the coffee flavoring, but I like cheesecake, which I would say is less sweet than like cake. So I like cheesecake for dessert, but I also, I, don't know. I like ice Adele's, cream as well. Adele's cheesecake is pretty darn, pretty darn rich. Oh yeah. I mean, it's rich, but it's not super sweet yeah 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 well i used to love ice cream but can't have a lot of milk products now that i'm older well you had ice cream uh friday night was that friday i, I did i did <laughs> i had a little bit of Hot ice cream Sunday. Too. yeah friday night uh did we i don't know if we said that before uh, but i don't we think we said it last friday we did we sell it last friday march 5th 2021 we celebrated my mother's birthday well, she died in 2004, but she would have been 100 years old, born in 1921, and she was hilarious. She was, she was, she was great. Actually, last night, David, I stayed up. I stayed up uh, uh, watching a documentary on Betty White, mm-hmm. and it was excellent. It was very, very good. But uh, Betty White reminds me. I mean, now that she's in her 80s or maybe even 90s, she's in her 90s. Uh, Betty White reminds me of my mother. Yeah. My mother would just, just had, it was so funny. She would say so many funny things and she would do funny things, but she was a very, just such a, such a good person, just a good lady that it's, it's, um, I was, again, again, I don't know why I'm so lucky in this life to have a lucky, to such a good mother like that. I just won the lottery. And then I won the lottery again, the best wife in the world. And you had the best mother in the world too. Mm Mm-hmm. We're lucky, David. We're very, very lucky. Yeah. And, uh, that we that we had that. So, and she did a lot of things and said a lot of things and was independent. My mother was the same way. Mm-hmm. Same way. So last night I was watching the documentary on Betty White, and that was excellent. It was really good. She's just a, she's an icon, and the people that you okay? Yeah, my foot hurts. Oh man. So she she was a uh, the people who came on to honor her were just classic uh, people. Almost all the the old comedians and everything. So that, that was that was cool. Then this morning I watched uh, the uh, interview with Oprah Winf- Winfrey Winfrey and uh, Meghan Markle and uh, Prince Harry. Yeah, how did um, I mean? You were giving me some uh, beat by beat of that. I have a few thoughts on it. So do you want to tell me what you heard? Oh, I didn't listen to all of it. Uh, actually, I'm probably on now. Uh, it's this morning. I uh, would probably know more about it if we heard the whole interview. But I heard bits and pieces of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I guess a report on it was that she was, Megan Mark was very honest. Uh, but she was very professional about it. She uh, she would name names, but she wouldn't name names that she shouldn't be naming, you know. Yeah. Uh, she wouldn't implicate people she didn't need to. Uh, but where where it was appropriate, she she would say, yeah, 
that didn't happen and this didn't happen and or this did happen or that happened and and uh, and then Prince Harry came on and Prince Harry uh, was the same. Uh, they both were very very open. I uh, would say th- this is the issue and uh, issues. These are the issues and uh, but they wouldn't implicate their family uh, beyond uh, that. Uh, he did what Prince Harry did say is that they're prisoners and he feels sorry. He feels sad for his brother and his father. They're they're prisoners in this. Inst- they kept calling it an institution, mm-hmm. the institution, the institution. And uh, and a few things they said was pretty like, wow, that that wouldn't fly in the United States. That wouldn't go here. You're told what to say, what to do, what to wear. You can't go there. You can't go there. And last night we went out and had cake. And yeah. uh, Megan, Megan was saying, I would want to go out with my friends. She said, no, you can't do that. Yeah, we are, well, we're not royalty. And some sort of line of 1,000 years of British royalty. I mean, I don't know. Here's my thing. A, I don't care about the royals at all. Don't care. Uh, their relevance sort of waned with the Stuarts. Uh, I, I don't think that they have really ruled the country for 400 years. Now, I guess King George, though, King George III during the American Revolution, who knows? Uh, but nowadays, from, from my lifetime, the royals have been figureheads. And it's sad that, you know, you marry a royal... And then all of a sudden, there's all this baggage that comes with being a princess of England. And then you go on the news and say, oh, I didn't realize that there was going to be complications marrying into one of the oldest royal families in the history of the world. I didn't realize there'd be restrictions. I didn't realize that there'd be media muzzles on me. And it's like, well, what did you expect to happen? You know? And it sounds like she's the one that's driving the bus. She tells Harry... I don't want to do this. And he says, okay. They move to Canada or whatever. They say that we're not going to be take our official titles. So so she can complain about it all she wants, but it's like she, she was the one that married a royal, you know? Well, yeah. Well, my take on it, so first of all, she's, she's uh, they are the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. but uh, And that's very complicated to me over there. But anyway, uh, the way I the, what I was thinking about last night or this morning when I was watching it on the news is that wow that's 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 too bad I guess that's how they do things that's how they good do things then I stop step back and I thought the bigger picture and I said well what what she was saying some of the things that that Meghan Markle was saying if that happened in the United States. Uh, there would be out war. I mean, there would be uh, maybe even uh, uh, lawsuits mm-hmm. of of harassment or of uh, discrimination or uh, of discrimination or uh, even abuse, mental mental abuse uh, that 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 she was talking about. It's okay because it's in Buckingham Palace, but if that was anywhere over here with anyone else where they weren't protected, then in the United States, they would probably be in court. Yeah. I mean, maybe they had they thought they had to tell Harry and his wife what to wear after this incident where Harry dressed up as a Nazi for Halloween. You know? Maybe there was a precedent that uh, he shouldn't be allowed to, uh, to dress himself after that. <laughs> <laughs> that was an embarrassment to the royal family. One thing that Megan, yeah, it went far beyond that though. One mm-hmm. thing that Megan and uh, and Prince and Harry were saying was, and they wouldn't implicate anyone. This is we had conversations about our children and what color skin they're going to have, and what what how that color of skin of our children are going to impact the institution. And so maybe we should do something. The implication was, should we do something about our children because of the color of their skin? Like what? They didn't say. They wouldn't say. He says it was just it was a very sober conversation. And and they and actually they says, oh, who said that to you? 
And Megan said, well, they told that to Harry. And so they brought Harry on him. Harry, Harry was was very good. He, he says, well, I'm not I'm not going to tell you who said that. I'm not going to say that. But it was a conversation with and the implication was a number of people. Hmm. So I'm, I'm being careful not to say anything wrong or misrepresent it. But they did say that. And it was it was really uh, go, wow. And they said uh, the the discrimination uh, and it is a multiracial uh, country, UK. He says, but the discrimination is very strong. Uh, and it's in the in England. It's also very it's even stronger uh, in royalty. Yeah. I mean, OK, I understand that they want to complain to Oprah about woe is me. Look at this. You know, things aren't fair for us. But I also read a report that CBS paid Harry and Meghan seven million dollars for that day where they sat down with Oprah. So uh-huh. there's a lot of people out there who face discrimination. There's a lot of people whose family don't approve of their relationship and they're bitter about it. And the only difference between those people and Harry and Meghan is that those people can't call Oprah and get seven million dollars to sit down and bitch about it on TV. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, uh, all I would say is that uh, I don't want to come down one side or the other. <laughs> I'm saying that's what they said because we weren't there. No, we weren't uh, there. And also, I don't. don't I don't care. I mean. Oh, you're telling me that people that have lived in privilege with their family for hundreds and hundreds of years are racist? Well, that's not a surprise to me, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. Well, the point is, uh, actually, the uh, it matters more in the UK than it does here, but now uh, Harry and Meghan are here, uh, are in the Canada and here, in the in the Americas, and they're speaking up, and so it is going to get press in England. That's for sure. In uh-huh. the UK, in the UK, and England, so it's going to be pretty big over there. Uh, but it was an American they, network and an American reporter that paid him seven million dollars to do this interview. That's right. And this morning they were saying, well, uh, it was aired. It's not even morning over there yet, so. They haven't even seen this yet. Yeah, well, so we have to wait till they see it. So. You could say it, it's going to matter there. I think it'll matter here because they paid. Seven, it was worth seven million dollars to CBS to get this footage. You know, so uh-huh. it clearly it clearly matters here. There's enough people that care, and I guess the thing about the British royalty is that in America we don't really have royalty. So Harry is from the House of Windsor. I mean, he's the royal line. He's fifth in line, sixth in line to the throne of England. And he married a black lady and they had issues and they moved away and they renounced their royal titles. And that's interesting to people. And in America, since we don't have a royalty, you know, who do we have? The Kardashians, the Trumps, the Kennedys, (laughs) the Kennedys, the Kardashians and the Trumps. They can play at American royalty, I suppose, but. They don't have the legitimacy of hundreds of years of history, I suppose. So so we sort of see, oh, how does this antiquated notion of nobility and royalty play in a modern society? And this is exactly how you would expect it to play out. Traditions that aren't necessary. I mean, traditions for tradition's sake is what royalty is all about. And how does that confront with the modern world? Well, there's going to be friction. I think that people just like to see that. Because you know that... The Kardashians or the Trumps don't stand on tradition. Uh, I mean, the Kardashians, they rose to fame because of the oldest sister's sex tape. Now imagine if the only reason that the royal family was famous is because Queen Elizabeth did a sex tape back in the 40s. You know? (laughs) Only in America. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, the thing of it is, is that uh, the other thing, too, is that Americans will look at that and judge that from our standards because mm-hmm. uh, we didn't grow up with royalty. They did. And so we don't understand that. Uh, I know I, I grew up on one part of the United States and I went to school in another part of the United States and I went to another part of the United States. 
And uh, the even just the parts, different states and different parts of the of our country, we see things differently. We judge things differently. We view things differently. It's different. So uh, America is going to view that much differently than they do over there. We'll see. We'll see what they say. But but what what uh, they were saying though, is that you won't really know that much how the people think of it, because the only thing you'll see first is going to be the tabloids, and they're going to try to blow it up and make it uh, sell papers. Oh yeah. Uh, and we do the same thing here in the United States, you know. So you know, which brings up another really point that I want to make is that uh, journalism. Journalism is so powerful, and I think our, our what is it, Second Amendment, our freedom of the press, is that it, David? No, the Second Amendment is the right to bear arms. The First Amendment oh. is the freedom of the press. First Amendment, very First Amendment, freedom of the press, let the press say this stuff. But uh, since they have that freedom, uh, it can be abused, and I'm sure it has been abused. I'm sure it is abused. I'm sure it will be abused, but that's no reason— not to eliminate it, <laughs> mm-hmm. because the freedom of the press is so crucial for, for and good journalism, a good reporting uh, to say things correctly and also to keep people honest and to call people out. I think you, you need that. You need that. And it's same same thing with uh, a two party system in Congress. And uh, I, I saw that they passed that bill yesterday is going to be one point nine trillion dollars. Uh, coming to people out there. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, but the journalism, I think, is is extremely important. And it's, whether you agree with it or not, uh, they need to have the freedom uh, to speak their mind and, and be called out. And other people call them out. Mm-hmm. You know, like, no, that's not right. Well, it's yellow journal- journalism. Because uh, you can uh, even, you can say the truth. But you can pick what stories to tell. Mm-hmm. So it it is it is a it's very a tricky it's a very important uh, job and industry, but it's an extremely important industry. It has so much imp- like anything else, it has very strong implications on our freedom, on our country, uh, on our lives. It's important. Well, uh, you know the. The importance stories sometimes fall through the crack because they're boring. You know, uh, there's probably a hundred different spending programs in the $1.9 trillion relief bill that will have more impact on Americans' lives than the fact that Meghan Markle felt sad because she married into the royal family. I saw there's an $86 billion bailout to some pension funds that were failing prior to the the pandemic but they were these huge pension funds and these baby boomers that are getting ready to retire that they were going to retire and not have a safety net and a lot of public works employees a lot of i don't know exactly the makeup but they were multi-employer pension funds and due to poor investments and bad management they were failing they weren't going to be able to support their employees that were retiring. The government came in and said, we're going to bail you out. We're going to make sure that this tranche of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of baby boomers have money in retirement. And that doesn't have anything to do with the pandemic. It's fascinating that that's not the lead story. It's, oh, the princess was upset that the queen was mean to her. And it's like, who cares about that? You know? (laughs) hundreds of thousands of people will be able to enjoy their retirement years because of something that was in the bill. And no one's talking about that. It's all about, you know, Harry and Meghan. It's fascinating. Yeah, it is. It really is. Uh, This uh, bailout bill that Congress passed, the Senate passed, uh, was voted 50 to 49. Uh, And every Republican voted against it. I thought it was 50 to 50 with uh, someone abstained. Someone, I think someone must have abstained, but every, but no Republican voted for it. Hmm. Yeah, it was 50 to 49 because I saw it on TV. And uh, so the question is, 
why didn't they? I'd like, I'd like. So there again, you need to hear both sides. It wasn't a, it was a slam dunk. Mm-hmm. What were the Republicans thinking? Why was it just partisan? Just like, oh, it's a Democratic bill, so I'm not going to vote for it. Or is there good reasons for it? You know, is there is there good reasons for it? Uh, I I think uh, more than that, uh, the American people need to be more involved in what was it's what's happening around them instead of uh, running after ghosts, running after conspiracy theories, running after uh, something. And, and I've told you this many times. I think people run after these conspiracy theories because the more outrageous, the more the louder they're going to talk, the louder the more they're going to support it. And I think just to get attention. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I think they're, they're they don't realize how much it hurts this country and hurts people around them when they do that. But they get attention, all right, because they they uh, they have uh, ridiculous kind of uh, stories without proof, and that has been that has been fueled by the president. Yeah, the, the former president. The former president. The disgraced former president. <laughs> Yeah, well, if we want to get our our viewers who are any, we can say whatever we want now because mm-hmm. people aren't watching. But we don't want to get this taken down. But uh, what I like to point out is uh, you can call Trump a savior. You can call Trump he's trying to become a dictator if you look at what he's doing. But he was elected not by the popular vote in 2016. Mm-hmm. Most Americans did not vote for him. The Electoral College put him in because of gerrymandering or whatever you could argue. Mm-hmm. But over the four years, he lost the House, he lost the Senate, and then he lost the presidency. He's had bankruptcy, what, seven times? Is a that lot, right, a lot. I don't know. I don't know the exact count. But yeah, I mean, basically every business he's ever run, he's run into the ground. Yeah, I've heard, I, I heard someone said 70 different bankrupt, bankrupt. <laughs> that's what Trump would say, mm-hmm. right? But he's had bankruptcies, multiple bankruptcies. Uh, anytime he would run a business, uh, it would. he's not a businessman. Uh, he's not a family man. Uh, he's not a politician. Uh, and every time he turns the corner, he loses. Uh, he's a lose, loser, 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 loser. What has he won uh, on his own merits uh, than what other than what people have given him? His dad kept bailing him out. Mm-hmm. His dad kept giving him money and he kept losing it. He lost this. He lost this. He ha, Have a list. Have a list here. Can you see this on my hand here? Yeah. Ha, that's the list of how many ta- how many times he has lost things. And then here's a list on things that he has won. So I'm getting it. Mm-hmm. So so again, people don't listen to the facts, and that's what happened in 2016. They did not listen to the facts. They made decisions according to their emotion. Mm-hmm. And just like we were talking about, was it Wednesday when we talk about the logic and fallacies? Yeah, that was Thursday. I think Wednesday we do the bracket fights, which is fun. Oh, yeah, that's my favorite. Fights. And Tuesday is going to be movie movie Tuesday. Yeah, we Wednesday don't have a movie, do we? we don't. No, we need to watch one. Um. So yeah, I think a lot of it was eight years of a black president. We need the most racist white guy we could find, and so they found him, and his name was Trump. And that's a good segue into the other big story today. The trial of Derek Chauvin, the guy who leaned on George Floyd's neck for 10 minutes until the life sort of faded from his eyes as he pleaded for his life and said he couldn't breathe. They're saying we're having trouble finding an impartial jury because anyone who watches him murder George Floyd in cold blood thinks that he's a murderer. So we're having trouble finding people that could watch him murder some guy and say, ah, I'll give him the reasonable assumption of innocence. And that's that's tough, you know? Uh, it could be a flaw in our system, but 
it's it's an important issue that every person does need their fair day in court. You can't mm-hmm. come in with a bias. So it's tricky. So it's tricky. Uh, it took whatever weeks, you know, for him to be arrested. And they begrudgingly charged him with second-degree murder. And now they've added a charge of third-degree murder because they don't think that he can be convicted on second-degree murder. Um, I guess there's very tight security around the courthouse in Minneapolis because they're afraid people are going to be upset about this. And if they're going to be upset about the jury selection, imagine when a jury of white people find him innocent, what's going to happen? Uh it's interestingly enough, it's the 20th, 30th anniversary of the Rodney King beating last week. Do you remember that? Well, I wasn't there, but... Do you remember that I on remember, the news? Uh, on the news, oh yeah, I remember it on the news. Uh, I didn't see it on the news, I heard about it. I go, wow, 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 you know, because I was, I, I just... Uh, what year? Oh, that was uh... 1991. It was 30 years ago last week. Do you want to watch the video? See, the thing is, we see videos all the time now. In 1991, you didn't see videos like this. Let's watch it. It's 44 seconds. Let's watch it. As a week of pretrial motions ended today in the case of the four Los Angeles policemen already indicted in the Rodney King beating, the county grand jury signaled that Can't would be the it. extent of the criminal case. 17 other so-called police bystanders at the beating scene will not be indicted, a development noted with frustration by the Los Angeles County attorney whose office presented the evidence. Now, however morally wrong their failure to intercede, in California law, there is no criminal statute go. under which these officers I can't can hear be it indicted. Now. I know. The inaction of the 17 officers not as easy may as not it looks. be investigated by the I U.S. Know. Attorney's Office for possible okay, civil rights I'll violations. But of greater concern, said the county attorney, are the results of interviews with some of the police bystanders. It's, it's just frustrating that it's, uh, just to me, that it's not as seamless as it should be. It's 2021. I feel like the software should be more seamless, you know? Yeah. And I tried to do full screen and it blacks out the share screen. And it's like, it shouldn't do that. It's 2021. Um, anyway, uh, we could see the beatings there. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing is, 1991, they show Rodney King getting beat within an inch of his life, and then all those officers got found innocent, and that caused the 1992 riots, because apparently they had a reason to beat him within an inch of his life. And the video basically showed, these guys were all guilty, but we're still going to find him innocent. And it sort of confirmed what everyone knew in the 80s and 70s and 60s when this would happen is that they were found innocent, but there was no video at the time. And now, it's not just beating a guy within an inch of his life. You can lean on him. You could choke him to death as he says, I can't breathe, and watch the light fade from his eyes. And the police department will still hem and haw for weeks before they decide whether or not to charge the guy that just murdered someone in cold blood on video. And the video, I think it's a real game changer in the overall scheme of things. Because people see it, and it's like, it's kind of unequivocal what happened there. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, back in the 50s and 60s, where there was no video, they there was there was no doubt about it. They they would just take him out and murder him. Yeah. And you never heard him heard from him again. And if you were black, you should not I mean if you're black or out at night, uh, they have a right. It's a free country, but for some reason they would take him and they would kill him. And it, it was just, but today we have videos and say, wait a minute, you're not supposed to do that. Uh, and says, well, you know, there was reason to. But, well, the reason, what their actions went far beyond the reason they needed to do that. You can do that without, without killing someone. Mm-hmm. I mean, and sometimes they'll fight. And so the police, I think, I don't know, I don't know. I, I, again, there again, I'm not, I'm not in the courtroom and I don't I'm not a policeman or anything, but I think there's something that said like, uh, well, in order to apprehend or control uh, a, a, a suspect, you can use force 
greater than the force that they had so that you can subdue them. And so I thought that may be some kind of a rule, uh, but that doesn't give them the freedom or that should not give them the freedom or right uh, to kill them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. It's it's an issue that needs to be addressed. And it's it's it, if you think about it. Uh, in this country, uh, you should have the freedom. Uh, you should have freedom. You should be able to go out and know that you can go out, you're not doing anything wrong, and you're not going to be apprehended or beat up or even killed. And you can come home to your family. Mm-hmm. And uh, and if you if you do something wrong, then you should be dealt with equitably, just like anyone else. And, uh, uh-oh, you know, uh, you uh, did something wrong. Well, the punishment should, should be according to the crime. It should, should be put in jail just because of what someone said. I also feel like uh, this is not true in this country, but, you know, if you get murdered in cold blood and there's a videotape of it, but the person that murdered you is a cop, that person shouldn't walk free. But they do. A lot. And they can say, oh, I felt threatened, you know. When he said I couldn't breathe and I was choking him to death, I felt threatened. And then when all the life fell from his body, I felt threatened for three or four more minutes. And then he was dead. Or that guy here in Denver, uh, in Aurora, Elijah McLean. Oh, yeah. You know, they beat him to the ground and then they inject him with ketamine and he dies. It's like, why do we live in a world where police officers, who certainly are not medical professionals, are allowed to inject you with powerful tranquilizers? That doesn't seem right to me. And, you know, there was 10 guys or whatever, I don't know exactly how many guys, I don't want to start saying exact numbers when I don't know. There was a gang of cops that beat this kid and then injected him with drugs and caused him to have a cardiac arrest and die. And I think we saw the Aurora police, then they got disciplined, I think they got suspended without pay for a week or two. They went back to the scene of the crime and they took pictures joking about how they killed him. You know? Do you remember that story? I do. Yes. 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 I'm going to pull up that picture. When you look at the life, Elijah McClain, what a, I mean, looking, look at his life. Look at what kind of a kid he was. And what did he do to deserve that? Uh, I don't think he was doing anything that night. There's no reason for them to to stop him. Yeah, there they are. Okay, they got fired. I'm not sure the ones that killed him got fired, but. So you can kill someone, you just can't joke about it. You know? Yeah. There's Eliza McLean there. Mm-hmm. There he is yeah, in the hospital, I guess. Oh, no, never. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just a kid. It's just a kid. Our children are doing this to our children. Or our police are doing this to our children, I guess is our, more accurate. Well, the... Uh, Something that's said that really has been touching me, you know, we're, we're not black, but the black folks say, and it's a very strong statement, you know, if if the white folk that understand that this is wrong kept keep silent, then you're part of the problem. Yeah. You know, I and I think... Uh, uh, I, I I respect I respect those people that say, look, this is a problem. I go, well, I I respect that. I don't understand it because I'm not there. But when I hear your stories, we have to, like I say, we have to listen to people, listen more than you talk, and try to understand them. Uh, I I couldn't imagine the heartbreak that these uh, mothers and fathers have with their with their children getting killed uh, mm-hmm. for, and their brothers and and uncles and aunts and cousins and getting killed for 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 s- simple reasons that that shouldn't be it reminds me anyway. of an episode of uh south park in south park the police they're they're racist you know and i think it's funny that they're just casually racist in south park the police and it's a funny creative choice because it's like yeah that's kind of the way the world is in real life, the police are casually racist. And 
So there's an episode where Michael Jackson moves to town. And he builds a big amusement park in his backyard. And he lures all the children into, you know, coming in and playing with him all the time. And these parents go to the police and they say, we're really concerned. This guy is, he's sort of luring our children there. And our children are spending all of our time with him. He seems a little strange. And they say, no, he's fine. He's rich. He's rich. He can do whatever he wants. He's rich. And then they find out that he's black. And then it becomes an issue. Because he doesn't look black. I mean... It's sort of like that's the determining factor as to whether or not you go after someone. And the sad thing is that in the world, a lot of times that's true, don't you think? Well, the Borat movie. <laughs> yeah. The Borat movie where he was in this southern home. They welcomed him. And I don't think, I don't know if those were actors or not. I don't think so. But I don't think so. And so... So that that was similar, if you want to tell that story, how he had to go to the bathroom. Oh, he he had to go to the bathroom, right? Uh-huh. So, so go ahead and tell it. So he poops in a bag, and he brings it back to the table. And the lady <laughs> shows him proper bathroom etiquette in America. And so bringing a bag of poop to the table, he was still welcome. But when he called up the black lady to be his date, he got kicked out right away, and they called the police. Yeah, he brought in a, a black lady, and he couldn't stay there anymore. Um, yeah, they kicked him out of his. They kicked him out of their house. So there is, I mean, there is a bridge too far, and a lot of times it's, it ex, people's prejudices are exposed. I think that Borat did a good job of that, which is fascinating to me. I think we talked about this on the Golden Globe discussion. People in Kazakhstan were upset that he portrayed Kazakhstan as this backward nation of, with very regressive ideas. But that was just a way, pretending that he was backwards and he had regressive ideas, was just a way to get Americans comfortable talking about how they were backwards and they had really regressive ideas. And the thing was, I don't know how long he shot, but he certainly found plenty of them. You know? He found plenty of Americans that were able to sort of betray their we're the most civilized nation in the world status and act just as backward as he was, if not more so, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I want to bring up one more story or maybe two, I don't know, but I heard this this morning when I was <laughs> sleeping, I woke up before my alarm cause I got a text message from Michael. Uh, and so I was, I turned on NPR and I was scrolling Instagram and I saw a picture of, well, first of all, let me see if I can pull this up. Uh, Clancy's Irish Pub. My local pub. They post pictures of their food. And oftentimes, it does not look uh, appetizing to me. So sometimes you have a hard time... Is this the right one? It should be. Where is it? I think he might have taken it down. Ah. It looked so gross. It's so gross <laughs> I sent it to Michael. <laughs> um, it was biscuits and gravy. But the, I mean, it was just eggs and biscuits with parsley all over the eggs. But the gravy looked so disgusting. It was broken. And there was oil all over the bottom. It's like, why would you post that one? You know, the gravy's not supposed to be, like, yellow and clear. It's supposed to... <laughs> I don't know. But before we get into that... Wait, no. Okay. That, that's not the story I wanted to tell. I just saw... He often does this, too. He'll... <laughs> I'll stick on it for one more second. He'll take pictures of the food at the Crown Nancy's Irish Pub, and then he'll put a filter on it, and it'll make the meat look, like, bluish-green... <laughs> because he applied an Instagram filter and it's like, dude, don't use filters on your food picture. Or, you know, <laughs> you want the colors to look natural when you're portraying food and photography. You know, ground beef is supposed to look brown, not greenish brown. So that's all I'll say about Clancy's. 
<laughs> okay. I heard a report that most students are falling behind with online learning, K through 12. But they did these, and of course, these are an, this is an N of two, but so you gotta really be hesitant to accept anecdotal stories as evidence of a broader trend, correct? You're the statistician, you know this is true. But they interviewed two kids that were thriving with the Zoom-based classes and online education, and they both had ADHD. And they said, I love it. I sit in my room, I can listen to the teacher, and I'm on my computer, but if I get bored, I can take off my headphones and walk around my room or run around, you know, just put it on a speaker and listen to the teacher. And it's like, and the parents are like, they're doing better than they ever did in in-person classes. And it's because wow. I, I think their behavior when they're alone in their room they do care. They do want to learn. But behaviorally, the things that they do while they're learning are unacceptable in a group environment. Whereas when you can do whatever you want behaviorally, just, you know, cut off your camera and uh, walk around. It's. Uh, I, I think that. I think that's always been the case. I think that reveals something that I, uh, I've, uh, I totally agree with that. I think I've even said that some people should not be in school mm -hmm. because some people don't learn sitting at a sitting at a desk, listening to someone talk to them. They don't learn that way. We're all different, and uh, wow, that's fascinating. Which brings up an extremely good point. That I that that I said back last year that this pandemic is going to bring some things out and learn how to do every part of life, teaching and otherwise, that we didn't realize, and we should take the good from everything. And like the student says, we don't get back on the class, back on the class, back on the class. Well, wait a minute, I think there's a lot of good that we can learn from teaching online and teaching at home. I think a lot, there's a more we could a lot more we can do with it, and I think learning. Should not you're getting me you get me off on education, David, but learning should not be relegated to a classroom. Learning should be part of our lives, mm -hmm. and the computer is part of our lives, so we should learn through the computer. Yeah, and and that computer should not be something that we do just to learn. Then we should learn outside the computer, and we should always be learning. And always be talking, but listen more than you talk. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 I think that's that's very very true. So many people have dropped out of school and are very successful without school. Mm -hmm. I mean that that's very very true. Well, I think also what you how you measure determines outcomes as much as what you measure. So how you measure academic performance in a classroom is different than how you measure it online. And some people's learning styles will be more suited to learning online than to learning in a classroom. That's true. I also think like how you choose an elected official. I, I think your ability to win an election is completely divorced from your ability to govern. You could be the greatest campaigner in the world and the worst leader. You can have rallies and 50,000 people come to them and you just say whatever pops into your head and they hang on your every word. And then you become president and you have the worst economic downfall since the Great Depression and a virus that spirals out of control and kills 500,000 people in a year because you didn't do anything about it. Because you're good at campaigning, but you're bad at leading. Well, uh, we've seen that case in point. I think that's exactly what we've seen. Yeah. So I think that a lot of times, like you see Bill Gates drops out of Harvard or Zuckerberg, or Zuckerberg dropped out of Harvard. Bill Gates, I think, dropped out as well, right? Or did Bill Gates finish? Yep. He, no, he dropped he, out? he dropped out. I think they see, oh, okay, I understand what the school thing is about. I don't need to finish my degree. I don't really want a job. I want to be a leader. And finishing your degree is to prove to employers, I can follow your rules. But they, they're two or three years in, and they're like, wait, 
No, I don't want to be a rule follower. I want to be a rule maker. So I don't need to finish the degree to prove to anyone that I can follow the rules. I need to quit this degree to go out there in the world and start making the rules. I think that's why they don't finish. Getting a degree is not totally dependent on intelligence. It's dependent on personality that they're willing and able to do the work. Mm -hmm. And because uh, school is an artificial environment, school, the environment of school and college, K through 12, undergrad, grad, uh, postgraduate education, higher education, that environment is artificial. And so uh, good professors should bring a simulation of the real world in the classroom so they can prepare to use what they're learning in the real world. But it's, it is, it's an artificial environment. And sometimes you learn things artificially because uh, uh, I, I teach quantitative methods. And uh, I was thinking, I was thinking about that. It's funny you should say that, David. I was thinking about that this morning. Uh, can I, is, is anyone watching this podcast? Uh, let me see. I'll t- pull up the live broadcast. And if they're not, I know we're going to post this on YouTube. I, I want to be honest for a second. Uh-huh. No one's watching, I don't think. Why? Well, I guess we're going to post this. I guess it's going to be out there anyway, isn't it? Yeah. Are you worried about saying it and being? Uh, are you worried about being honest about this? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, what for? Why? I don't know. Well, I'll tell you. I woke up this morning. You know how you wake up, your mind is clear, and and had a good night's sleep. And I was thinking. Uh, I was thinking about this very thing. How I, I, I've I've taught for decades. Mm-hmm. And I says, you know, that that classroom and the material is just it's just a, an artificial uh, manufactured uh, world that's not necessarily reality. Mm-hmm. And I said, we have like mathematics, we have these axioms and within these axioms, uh, the equations work and you can solve these problems. And there you go. And we say, okay, then you can go out and solve this in the world. Yeah, you can, but only if you make enough assumptions of the real world to assume it down to something that's controllable. But that's not the real world. The real world is a series of paradoxes. The real world is riddled with with uh, uh, paradoxes. And what is it where... Uh, it's the opposite. Two things uh, uh, at the same time. What's that? Count? Not counterintuitive. What's it? What's the word? Uh, I'm searching for a word. I'm getting old. What is it? We oh contradictions. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the world is is real life is just a series of contradictions, a series of fallacies, a, fall- a series of paradoxes, and so you say. And I thought of this. I thought that that in school we create an artificial. We have make enough assumptions so we can control everything in that little circle. Mm-hmm. And in that circle, then we can optimize. We can optimize, and that we imply that the world is that way, and it is not. The world is contradictory to itself. For example. Uh, and I thought of this, and I'll tell you this, David, and uh, I think this is the strongest example that I can give, is that you can uh, uh, be so thankful and so happy and celebrate being able to live 35 years, 11 months, and one day with your soulmate. And that's that you're the luckiest man on earth and you've never been happier than anything in the world. At the same time, you can be as angry and 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 sad and and just you'll never, never get over the anger of that person not being here. 
So how can you be have enormous happiness and enormous sadness at the same time? How can you have a normal thankfulness and enormous anger at the same time? How can they be there together? You can. That's life. That's the reality of life. And I think that we don't teach our children that. I think we teach our children, be good, be good, be good. And it says, well, yes, be who you are. Be good. Uh, be kind to it, one another. But life is not always going to be good for you. Uh, it could be hard. It could be bad. You have to find the good in it. Mm -hmm. And you have to endure the bad in it. But life is not just good or bad. They're both together. And I think we need to start teaching our children and teaching ourselves to live with the good and the bad, to learn how to live being happy and sad, to be thankful and angry, because uh, that's just li that's life. That's life. And uh, so I kind of question, uh, I began questioning the, the precepts and the foundation of higher education, especially professional schools. We teach people, I know because I've done this for decades, we teach people how to solve certain problems that will be encountered, but we don't teach them how to live a life, uh, say in business, how to live a life, say in public service, how to live a life there, because that has to do with the personality. Mm -hmm. So you might have the knowledge, you may have the skills, but you don't have the personality. And it's not bad. It's just how you're made. And should we tell people that? Yes, we should. But how do we develop people? Say, let people know, let people learn who they are and be proud of who they are and be uh, and live who they are. OK, I guess I'm more preaching than anything else. For example, the other night we saw the, the Try Guys uh, movie. Mm -hmm. And Eugene made this video, this beautiful video of coming out. He made it for the LGBTQ, uh, uh, LG, LGBTQ AIC plus whatever it was, uh, 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 community. Mm -hmm. And I thought that, that that's, it was great. It was great because that's what we should be teaching our children. Be who they are. Don't try to be someone to get attention. Don't don't try to be an antagonist just so you can get get attention. Be who you are. Be proud of who you are, and and, and don't be something you're not. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the people who stormed uh, the Capitol were not that. They were trying to be someone who got attention. Now behind them were the people pushing them because they had an agenda. Yeah. Okay, and then some people really believed in what they were doing, but if they thought of themselves, wait a minute, do I want to tear down the country? Yes. Why do you want to tear down the country? Uh, because, and they start uh, uh, listing all the all the uh, the uh, conspiracy theories. Do you really believe those? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that if you sat down and said, "Am I lying to myself? Is is this real?" Because I think that you need to get down to what's real, you know, and be honest with yourself. That's what the Try Guys, you know, that movie was, I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of the Try Guys. It's more of Laura's thing. But it was interesting to see they all, they all had issues. They all want different things out of this. And uh, I think it's, people would say, oh, Eugene is the most powerful because he was different. But. That means that if you're not different, you can't be powerful. That's not true, you know? If you're in the majority, if you tick all the majority boxes, you still have a powerful story to tell. And that story can only be told by being honest with yourself. So let's say you're not gay or a person of color. Let's say you don't have any eccentricities that you've struggled with because they're unorthodox. That doesn't mean that you haven't experienced life in a way that's meaningful and that communicating your story might be meaningful to others. Uh, and the thing is, 
to communicate your story, you have to be honest with who you are. You might find things about yourself that are unorthodox, that people that cut against the grain, and that might be the most impactful part of your story. Or the most impactful part of your story might be, I wanted to rebel, but then I went along to get along, and everything worked out for me. So my advice to you is, go with the flow. Don't swim against the current. <laughs> And that might help someone that needs to hear that at that time. And if that works for you and you communicate your story and that helps someone who says, I want to cut against the grain. Well, and they say, well, this person had this experience. And when they were being honest with themselves, living a normal life was what was right for them. Now, I think of I've been watching Bam Margera from Jackass. He's had like a meltdown recently. And so I started Mm. watching a few videos on him. And of course, YouTube and they recommend videos. So when he was in this teenage years, 18, 19, 20, he did some videos called CKY, Land Speed CKY, CKY2K, CKY3, before Jackass ever started. He made VHS tapes and DVDs of these, distributed them himself. He was a millionaire by the time he was 20 years old. It was him and his friends doing pranks and stunts back in the late 90s, mid 90s. And this is before YouTube. So instead of posting it on YouTube like you would in the 2010s, he was, I'm going to film all this stuff. I'm going to edit it together with music. I'm going to get DVDs and CDs made or VHS tapes made. And I'm going to sell them at the skate shops. I'm going to sell them and they're going to become a cult hit. He did all this at a young age and he did it with his friends. Now he is struggling with addiction in his 40s. And part of it was because his friend died. But then you sort of look into where are his friends from the mid-90s. And some of them are doing podcasts and some of them are trading on that momentum from Jackass in the late 90s, you know, 20 some odd years ago. But others that were instrumental to those CKY videos, they dropped out when Jackass, when MTV came calling and they said, I don't want to move to L.A. I don't want to do this. And they're living normal lives. And they were these wild stunt guys in their late teens. And they chose not to be famous, not to get rich, to sort of go to college and get a normal job and have a family. And I, you don't see them, but they seem like you don't see them in the public eye, but they're probably happier than Bam, who's struggling with addiction and uh, the, the trappings of fame because they chose not to cut against the grain. So I think that sometimes telling your story, even if it's an ordinary story, it's a good lesson to someone in the same decision, like if you have an opportunity to be famous, oh, this guy came and he said, you know, I'll sell you these magic beans and you'll be famous and you choose to live a normal life. I don't think you should live your life regretting that decision. If the Absolutely. if that life worked out for you. Every person is powerful, but their power is in being themselves. Don't be something you're not. Be yourself. And the challenge from birth to death is being yourself and learning who you are. Because that's the most power that you have. And so be yourself, whatever you are. And so some people are out there. Some people are, are live what you call a normal life. Uh, but all of that is a society. And if everyone is just being themselves or happy with themselves, whatever that is, uh, that that's the most power a person can have is being themselves on who they are because uh, their God-given ability to be themselves is the power that they have. Mm -hmm. The only thing, the only thing wrong with choosing a normal life is if you're not normal and you're not being yourself. What's normal? That's what I'm saying, David. (laughs) Yeah. But what I'm saying is what was normal is is a society norm that they try to define maybe you need to live outside that box yeah but i mean what i'm saying is there's nothing wrong with being normal either if you are a normie and you'll find security and comfort and happiness by going down the path that has been forged by millions of people before you you know enjoying bland food and tasteless art and watered down music and all that stuff brings you joy and happiness 
do that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's right. That's right. I think that's the the most important message that any person in any country uh, with any uh, society, that's the most important message that, that they could have is know who they are and be who they are. Be themselves. And don't let anyone uh, tell you that you're worthless because your strength and your power and your worth isn't just being yourself, whatever you are, whoever you are. Uh, and uh, I, th I think that's important. And I think in every person is good. And uh, and every person, uh, that goodness can only come out when they're them that they are themselves. And there's where you have a society. And I think the the as our founding fathers say, the experiment of America with we the people instead of the king or the dictator or the government, it's we the people. Uh, I think uh, if we the people are who we are and don't try to uh, have one person more important than another person, but everyone has has uh, is the, are themselves and respect each other for being themselves. I think uh, that experiment uh, can create a, a great nation. And that was the foundation, I think, why our nation is great. And the best way to undermine that is to not let people be who they are. Mm -hmm. It's prevent them from prevent them from being themselves and being who the government wants them to be. So, so sometimes I think uh, we want people to uh, we want K through 12 to come like kindergarten, kindergarten. You know, there's five six years old. They're coming to learn how to how to function within a school environment. You got to do this. 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 Well, some people have their personality. Okay, I'll do it. You know, okay, I'll do it. And it doesn't infringe on who they are. Other children got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. And if they do that because of who they are, then it does infringe on who they are because they can't, they can't hack it. They can't do that. And they act up and now they're in trouble. And that just causes turmoil. And so I think our, uh, our educational system, which focuses on academics, uh, instead of the three R's of reading, writing, arithmetic, it really should be the three A's. Uh, it should be uh, academics, but also should be the arts on people to express themselves and also athletics for people to understand their body. And when I say athletics, it's, it's not just playing games. It's, it's health, nutrition, uh, eating well, sleeping well, exercising, working hard. I don't know. I, I, think, we're, I think we need to teach it. Our, our, ourselves uh, first and then teach our children to, to do uh, a healthy life. And a healthy life is being who you are. Mm -hmm. And all, in all three phases, the physical part, the mental part, uh, and also the academic part and the intellectual and social. I mean, I, I'm sure people have studied all this stuff, but our system doesn't really promote that at the younger ages. As far as intelligence is concerned and academics, we should teach them more logic and rhetoric than mathematics. Actually, way back when, was it was it Plato or Aristotle? Uh, mathematics was a key element, not because of the math, but because of the logical thinking. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, to think logically. And people don't think logically because we push we push the math too much. We push the math of, oh, you have to learn algebra. Then you have to learn trigonometry. Then you have to learn calculus. Then you have to learn real variables. Then you have to learn complex variables. Then, and there's on and on and on, okay? Uh, but then math is not math for itself. Math is a tool for people to think logically. I think that's the value in society. Now, if you're trying to be an engineer, yeah, sure. Or trying to be a mathematician, yeah, sure. But that's not that doesn't necessarily help society and the general populace in school. Mm -hmm. Am I am I am I wandering a little bit? Yeah, I think maybe we should just cut it off for the day. How does that sound?
Well, I could go on and on, as you could tell. Yes. Well, I mean, math, I think it's important. I never got why people thought it was hard. It always seemed pretty easy to me, but uh, I think people are scared of math. And maybe it's because they don't sort of tell you. This is to formulate the foundations of your ability to reason analytically. Like, it just provides a pure logical framework. I don't know. But enough about math. Let's call it a day. <laughs> Let's call it a day. That's enough for today. This is, uh, we've, we've uh, uh, hit a number of different points, and I think all points were fine. I think it was fun. Yeah. I think we had a good session here, David. Definitely. Is there anything you'd like to add? Hey, uh, Sons of Sequoia, keep on talking. But listen more than you talk and try to understand what the other person is saying. Bye.